Well, hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Red Couch Theology Podcast. I'm so glad I finally say our podcast name correctly now. Um, on this week's episode, we are going to talk about quantum physics. We're going to talk about buying and selling of fields. Actually, not that much about that one, but we're going to talk about the meaning of life and the challenges in life and how they might connect to the stories we see in scripture and stories in general. So, if you're trying to figure out how in the world we're going to tie quantum physics to narrative arcs to Jeremiah and Fields, then this episode's for you. Why don't you tune in and uh, we'll just dive in without any more preamble. Hello? Hello. We are live. You just caught us in the middle of a fascinating physics conversation. Yes. Um which may become pertinent at some point during the conversation. I, uh, yeah, he, feels like he's got to go there now. Yeah, um, I, I I got all excited because I was like, "Ooh, Alex <laughs> is reading quantum physics." I'm so excited. I totally love that stuff. Oh man! So so <laughs> we are um, welcome to the Red Couch Theology Podcast with our ugly, uncomfortable Red Couch, um, which brands a a deep and valuable theological conversation each week. Um, yes. So, so welcome. We, we've welcome. Been, we've we've been um, talking uh, uh, in our community at South through this book Jeremiah, uh, prophet from the Old Testament, and this was our last week. We're in Holy Week. Yeah. We are moving from Lent to Resurrection, which is uh, just always just exciting. I, I was. Just, I love that you're doing the intro this time. This is, yeah, feels I great. I, don't I even like know it. Why I'm doing the intro? It felt, felt like. If, if I let you do the intro, we'd be, talking, just about, we'd be talking about physics. <laughs> Straight hour. to quantum physics. <laughs> so I was actually just chatting to some people. <laughs> I, so someone was talking to me about the, like the faith journey they're on. And I was like, that's really exciting. I said, we should get you up to preach on Sunday sometime. I was like, not this week, obviously. It's, it's, uh, it's Easter Sunday. And I was just like joking with them how when I was a youth pastor and an associate pastor, I, I would always be like, why doesn't the lead pastor ever let me preach on Easter Sunday? Like Resurrection Sunday, I want to do that one. And then I got to be a lead pastor. And I was like, oh, that's why, because it's so much fun. Uh, and you only get to do it once a year. And it's so hard <laughs> to give up. <laughs> that's like, it's just so joyful. This this like highest and best day of the year. That, that's, um, yeah, I, I don't know, man. What a joy to be in this week. Um, yes, it's exciting. So, so and we have like, some fun stuff for the, our community and for those who... Who attend here um yeah yeah just we're anticipating a joyful celebration um which brings us without any good segue to have you ever bought a field at anathoth <laughs> when i buy fields i only buy fields at anathoth <laughs> yeah <laughs> when was the last time you bought a field <laughs> so i have not bought a field um, okay uh, my, my aunt is a far was a farmer <laughs> she passed away she owns a farm uh, in Sussex. So I am, I'm well versed in the art of buying and selling fields. Yeah. Um, and the only reason you haven't is you not, none in Anathoth have come up for sale. I, I'm actually not even sure where Anathoth is, which says something <laughs> about probably in the Middle East somewhere. But yeah, that's probably fair. Uh, unless Jeremiah did some real traveling, although there are people in Ireland that are convinced that Jeremiah is buried in Ireland. Really? Yeah, I have a, I have a, a guy that I went out with uh, to do some mission work with, and he took me on this drive, and he said, yeah, this is where Jeremiah's buried. What? Like, what? And he's got this whole story about how he moved from, like, Israel to Egypt, because that's where they flee to, and then 
like there was this migration of people and so like yeah that's so the 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 irish and english competition there is that so so that's the irish belief jeremiah came here and died here and he's buried so so the english always willing to up one up the irish wherever possible came up with this story where jesus came to england um, <laughs> so there's this, this whole hymn jerusalem which is like really well known hymn. it's sung this regularly. is like this is like like an urban urban legend totally. uh, episode of the red couch theology yeah, podcast yeah, potentially yeah but it's this but, is but it's i mean it's fascinating because this is how you like like if you think about how nations buy or, or create some level of divine right or divine nature to them like these are the kinds of things that you do totally um so so the story goes it's, it's in this hymn jerusalem um there's one verse that says, and did those feet in ancient times walk over England's green and pleasant lands? Um, and the background story to that is that Joseph of Arimathea could easily have been Jesus' uncle just based on how narratives work and stuff. There seems like there might be some deeper connection or some family connection. He was probably a trader. Trade routes during that period probably went through Britain. And so Jesus might have gone on a trade adventure with him when he was a teenager. And all of that led them to say, yeah, definitely came here, definitely walked these lands, and therefore, as a country, we have some kind of divine endorsement that other countries don't have. Um, and, and, but interestingly, like, probably similar language in different ways about any country that has some of that behind it. I've had All people right. since I moved over here say to me, isn't it interesting, the U.S. is the only country in the world that was founded on um, Christianity. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Is that true? So yeah, I, that that's a struggle to make that debate with, from church history. But some but, people, yeah, yeah would make that argument. So it, it, I mean, it just becomes like interesting how nations will find stories that support some of their their privilege, I guess. Their so national identity. Yeah. Anyway, Jeremiah. Uh, at this that was point, for free. Yeah, it was for free. Yeah, that's Thanks, great. Jeremiah. Yeah, give us some background on Jeremiah and where you went this last week, and then you want to talk about stories in general. Well, this is intriguing to me. So Jeremiah, prophetic book, uh, 25 odd chapters, uh, coming disaster and moment of disaster. Uh, but then the question becomes, what happens? What, what do you do when the disasters hit? Like, what's the turn in the conversation? So Jeremiah, after bringing like fire and judgment, and we've done this practice, if you're not part of South, where... During Lent, we've had people read uh, for the stand for the reading of the text, and we've responded with, "This is the word of God for the people of God and for the world." Um, thanks be to God. Some, yeah. th oh, sorry, th yeah, thanks be to God. Um, and some weeks, that's been really hard to say that to. Yeah, it's totally. it's been like because he's he's predicting absolute disaster. So how do you say that when he's like, "Yep." The king of Babylon's going to come and he's going to shut up this city and he's going to knock everything down and he's going to kill everyone that gets in his way. Um, how do you read those and say, this is the word of God for the people of God? Thanks be to God. Um, and hmm. now then you've got to the point where the story has got as bad as everything Jeremiah predicted. Like everything started to come true. The city is surrounded by armies. People are being killed. People are starving. There is the imminence, at least, of defeat, if not actual defeat. Yeah. And then he gets all optimistic. Um, he starts talking about how everything's going to fix it. God's going to fix everything. 
Um, Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, plans to give you a hope and a future. What hope? The city's about to be destroyed. <laughs> um, Jeremiah 31, I'm going to I think he's it. just upbeat because he's like, he knows he was right. He's like, ha ha, I <laughs> yeah, win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm all, just, just I'm all excited. Petty. Just not because the city's being torn out, but because I told you so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, I was retributively right to the best kind of right. <laughs> oh man, it's like I won this <laughs> argument. Everyone else said it was great, and I said it was wrong, and it is. It's bad. Remember all those guys who said peace, peace. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. win. No peace. The only peace is going to be when everything's. Yeah, everyone's dead. Um. Yeah, now, now he's like, he's Jeremiah 29 and 11. I know the plans I have for you. Jeremiah 31, he starts talking new covenant. Um, God is going to do something new. He's going to change your hearts amongst you. Chapter 33. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to create a branch out of David and there's going to be a new king who's going to rule. And uh, and all of that should be an, an impossibility. Um. Huh. The end, it should be an end to the story, and it's not an end to the story. And I guess there's, there's two elements to that, I think. Um, one is that, well, is that just a human, our human nature? We're, we're, we have to look for a new possibility. Um, we have to have a new, we have to look for new stories. Or is it just that, well, this is God's new story. It, but it seems like this has been the case over and over huh. again with the people of Israel. It seems like all through the Old Testament, the story looks like it's over. Um, and then it's almost like God can't resist the the beauty of a new story emerging from the old one. And I just find that fascinating. Yeah. So like, what do we do with that then? Specifically with Jeremiah. Um, so the, you're, what I hear you saying is, okay... Yay, everything did turn out okay-ish in the end, aside mm -hmm. from the people who suffered and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but Jeremiah is a happy ending. Yeah. Yay. The end. Yeah. So then, yeah, what do we do as we read this years later? How do we wrestle with, okay, it doesn't feel like that for us now. Does it always end with a happy ending? All those kinds of questions. Well, I think that, but is is that maybe not why we don't like we we struggle with this kind of literature? Um, I mean, that's why at least we we want to take bits of it out. Like the only real connection I've had to Jeremiah is a text for years as a pastor is talking through Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. Or maybe even something as abstract as when he, when God says to Jeremiah at the start, uh, don't let people look down on you because you're young. So I'll say to a bunch of teenagers, hey, this is the message of Jeremiah. Like, don't don't let people look down on you. You you might be young, but you've still got a value. Um, yeah. The, gr grasping the, the, the context of the whole book and, and then where the story goes now. He's always really hard for us, I think. So, all right, I have a question. So you're, you are self-admittedly, and, and joke about it all, all the time on this podcast, that you're naturally wired to be upbeat, mm. you're extroverted, you're sort of a jolly character. Jolly know? character. I just need a, I love a bowl, it. I just need a belly and a bowl full of jelly. <laughs> and then you're, and, and a big white beard, and yeah. you'll be Santa Claus reincarnate. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, I've, my experience on sort of being a little bit more on the receiving end, obviously I'm 
participating more in some of the content and services than the average attender of yeah. South Fellowship Church, but I've still been on the receiving end of the messages. Um, that this series has been kind of a good, beautiful thing for our community. There seems to be some resonance there. And here's the question. Is some of the heaviness that you've had to navigate our community through in this in this teaching time, is that heaviness almost a prerequisite to the ultimate joy of, a, of experiencing it as a community? And then the, the release of hope at the end of the story, like if you just made it jolly throughout the entire thing, would it have been the same? If Jeremiah just was happy, hopeful all the time, would it actually have been a piece of literature that has power? Mm. Mm. So I think I think there's lots of churches that don't want to talk about the the parts where the story seems broken. Yeah. Like we 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 acknowledge them, but we always like we get straight to, oh yeah, one day all will be well. Which is where where we landed this week. I mean yeah. The beautiful Julian of Norwich idea or all will be well and all will be well and all manner of things will be well. Um, but but we 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 struggle to sit with some of the darker aspects. And so we've tried to do that, even with my weird upbeatness in doing that, which I think has been this weird tension every week. Yeah. Uh, how do you manage how do I manage my personality alongside a text that's that's a little heavier? The beauty of doing that is that when people are in the worst moments, suddenly they've got texts that reflect their current situation. So I think you're hmm. right. Like, like does Easter Sun, does Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, does that always reflect how we feel? Probably not. It, it always reflects who we are. We're resurrection people but it probably doesn't reflect how we feel at all. And, and so for a moment, at least, we're like living in, this is what it feels like to be God's people when the king of Babylon is surrounding the city and there's mm. no outs. But we still need enough hope to keep us going. And that's what Jeremiah does in this worst of moments. He gives enough hope on a corporate level that says, now, now interestingly, like our individual reading would struggle with that because Jeremiah's, language is really yeah most of you here are going to die um either yeah. through starvation or through you know the the army finally breaching the walls and killing people or you're going to end up as refugees in egypt or somewhere like that like that i mean there's there's not really a good narrative for most of the individuals there his language is all corporate one day your children's children or the babylonian exiles their children's children will come back uh, and there's a there's a hope for our community, our, our ethnic our group, group, our people, yeah. um, and that 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 language. That's is... extra hard for us. For for Jeremiah's day, that was actually a little bit more hopeful than we might feel because we think so individualistically. Yes, but that the, do, you, do you think? That, but we've talked before on the podcast how that's like almost unique in history. What do you mean? Uh, like that individualistic element. Yes, totally. I, I was reading this. Um, totally, totally. I, I was watching this little bit of um, the show Game of Thrones the other day, and one of the characters, ah, um, um, oh, man, I'm blanking on his name now, but he's part of the Lannister family. He's like the patriarch of the Lannister family. 
and there's a whole bunch of people listening that are like, oh, it's this guy. Why didn't you just know it's this guy? But he's, when he's first introduced, he's talking to his son. And he's like, I need you to be the man you can be, not tomorrow, not next year. I need you to be that person today. Hmm. Because in the next few months, our family, like our future will be decided. And how a short time from now, I'll be in my grave and you'll be in your grave and your sister will be in her grave and um, her kids will be in their graves. And the only thing that survives is the family name and the family honor. That's mm. what we're here for. That's the game we're playing. But individually, he's like, yeah, I don't care. Like family-wise, though, no, I'm, I'm determined this is going to be successful. That's such a classic view of his, like of, uh, that's a, such a, a general principle across humanity across history our overly individualistic i oh, forget the family so long as i'm happy that's yeah. so rare across history so this is actually better news for the people of yes of, of judea than we can possibly imagine yeah we get a, we might get a little hung up well what about the people who died yeah. um that's that is a problem that is a challenge that can be addressed or whatever but for this the the readers of this jeremiah's hopeful statements are more hopeful than we might read them. And, and I, can't, so. I, I can't remember, did we talk about this on the podcast last week or was it just you and I talking off the air? But I was reading about the first missionaries in Japan. Uh, yeah, and, yeah. And they're like, they're, I don't remember the response we... they got from the Japanese people was, well, we believe you, but it would be, it would be dishonoring to our ancestors for us to accept Jesus and go to a paradise that they can't go to. Like we're so committed to corporateness and family that we're opting out of 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 a of a heavenly future. Put that in your described. evangelism pipe and smoke. I know, it, right? yeah. Like, totally I like a professor who would always say stuff like that. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Um yeah. So, yeah, so, that's a tricky one for yeah. as you're a missionary. We were like, uh 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 yeah. they didn't teach me this in missions class. No, you know? but don't you know like it's about you and did you accept Jesus as your savior? They're like, no, it's family. Everything's family. Yeah. Um so so there's a there's a good news to this, but it is right now broadly a terrible situation that's slightly colored positively by Jeremiah's prophetic future hope that he starts talking about. Totally. God has a plan. Um so let me get back to this narrative arc thing, because uh -huh. it's just, one, I just love story and uh -huh. arc, and I know you do too. So um, you made a statement several times throughout the series, especially in the first few weeks. I think you said it every week, most of the weeks during the series. Um, you said this thing that you get out of Easter what you put into Lent. Mm. Um, and that's a, that's a narrative statement mm. to some extent. Mm. You're actually saying that the the goodness, the beauty, the light, the hope of Easter will be strengthened, undergirded, and and more powerful and palpable and beautiful to your soul mm. if you allow yourself to go through the heavy and the dark of Lent or the yeah. contemplation of Lent. Yeah, and you're right, it's a story. I, I mean, the story's just by nature. Like, we just don't watch movies where, like, Guy walks into a bar, meets girl, they get married, they live happily ever after. Yeah, that's like, like the worst movie ever. Yeah, we, we like, there's always conflict. Yeah, um, in order for story to happen, there has to be conflict. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like the hero's journey. It's like you have protagonist, and then you have an inciting incident that sets that protagonist onto a different trajectory, and then 
Um, they have to like overcome sort of doubt or uncomfort or whatever. Yeah. And they might have a guide along the way. There's this comedian that does this with Tom Cruise movies. So he's like every Tom Cruise movie, when you actually look at it, until he started doing some niche stuff as he got older. Niche? Yeah, niche. Is exactly the same. So he said, like, you know, first he's a racing car driver, Days of Thunder. He's a pretty good racing car driver. Then he has a crisis of confidence. Then he meets a girl who helps him become a better racing driver than he was before. Now he's an Air Force pilot. He's a pretty good Air Force pilot. Then he has a crisis of confidence. Then he meets a girl who helps him become a better Air Force pilot. And now he's a sports agent. He's a pretty ah. good sports agent. Then he has a crisis of confidence. <laughs> then he meets a girl who helps him become a better sports agent. Now he's a cocktail waiter. He's a pretty good cocktail waiter until he has a crisis of confidence. Then he meets a girl who helps him become a better cocktail waiter than he was before. And every story is exactly the same. <laughs> they all involve a crisis hey, of confidence. Tom Cruise, if you're watching this, <laughs> this show... Uh, you should read scripts a little differently because clearly you're only attracted to <laughs> that then, script. But clearly he does start to do that because he starts doing some of these things that yeah. like, yeah, yeah, they, they start <laughs> to push, but it pushes character. But, but, but that story arc, so it's necessary in movies because they're created stories for entertainment, but, but it seems true of most stories that captivate us. So if you think about like, well, if you think of sin as the inciting incident in the Bible, Mm-hmm. What what does the Bible look like without it? Well, it's like a pamphlet with Genesis one and two, and and Revelation twenty one and twenty two, right? Like that's that's all it is. It's four pages. Okay, all right. So let's try and transition. So we we've been pretty abstract so far. Yeah. So, um, how do we anchor this conversation about narrative and story arc and Jeremiah and the necessity for challenge and crisis and inciting incident, whatever? Who cares? Like, why is that relevant for us today? And then we, I think we, I think there's a lot of cool things we can observe about narrative and apply it to our lives today. But um, how do we help people connect to that right now so that they we don't lose them? <laughs> Are we losing Wait, you out hold there? Hold on a second. Maybe they're here for the abstract. That's they, what they I'm might in most be. Conversations. I know. So, I'm. So, I'm just saying. Like. Yeah. I. I know. I totally get you. Uh, so. I think one, what it does is it does, it, it's important for us, as you kind of touched on, to to be able to say it's okay for the, the, the it's okay for things to go south for a while, to, to get messy for a while. Like, and, and we're terrible at this, especially when it's not us, but a loved one. So with our kids, mm. like if I'm honest, I don't want my kids to have anything interesting happen to them except good things. Yeah. And yet I am who I am because of some of the bad things that happened. Like character was formed in those times. I experienced God in different ways. Yes. I came through stuff. I I struggled with different things. I went through periods of rebellion. So I don't wish it on them. And yet, like if my attitude is they should never have anything happen, then what kind of people does that even create? So yeah, I, I think there's, totally. there's something mm. about... And Jeremiah, Jeremiah even touches on this. Like he says, you know, right now people make reference. I, I think this is in chapter four or chapter five. He says, right now people say, I wouldn't look it up because I'm not even that sure. Uh, <laughs> okay. That would be like, you'd, you'd really could, you could end up looking for a while. But, <laughs> oh, yeah. but early on, he says, this is all going to happen. The bad, stuff, the bad stuff's coming. One day people will no longer refer to God as the Lord who brought us out of Egypt but they'll start referring to him as the Lord who brought us out of exile in Babylon. Um, 
Like the, the, wow. the, the story that you talk about somewhat abstractly as we have as a story from our history, a story mm. from, you know, a thousand years ago that we remember that we ground around that's important. Um, hmm. That story is going to become deeply personal. Um, and, and, and so that's, so what I hear you saying is the part of the reason that this conversation about story and story arc, and that we've already subtly made this assertion that uh, the scriptures themselves are chocked full of these mm. story arcs in general, and the entire story arc of the scriptures is that it's a narrative arc mm -hmm. that that's not at all to say that we we're saying it's false because no. story oh, no, narrative no, 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 is no. not a false or true thing. There's true stories and there's made up stories or what that's not what we're and, and, and for but, almost every part of history story is how you tell truth totally like the, there is no like ab, the, there's no like way of of telling what has been done and what is true outside of story yeah and so but what i heard you say there in your summary like when you're talking about your kids is the reason this conversation is relevant to us is that we all are living a story yeah Every human being that walks the face of the earth is going to run into certain kinds of challenges that they have to then overcome. Yes. That's just a story arc. Yeah, and, and so the reason stories resonate with us and the reason maybe this conversation can connect to you is to know what should your relationship uh, as an individual be to the challenges of life and then the, 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 the tension between that challenge and that hope. That's almost part of what makes life worth living is the tension between challenge and hope. Yeah. Uh, and th this is if you lose so, one so or the like, other, like, it we need falls to hold apart. that thought because that, okay. that gets into some really interesting places. Yes. Um I a hundred percent agree. When when we had my mom found out she she was sick uh, a few years ago and she's she's doing really well right now, but she had this like long-term diagnosis thing that she got and and when this was during I was here at least. I think it was during COVID. Maybe it was just before. It yeah, started. I remember. I was already. I was. I wasn't here yet. I was still living. It was when I was interviewing. So I was. I was still in 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 New York. Okay. But I remember my family got together on Zoom. Uh, just my siblings to talk about it. And the first thing I said is like, oh, "Man, I, I don't know. Uh, can we handle this?" And my brother mm. said, "Me and my wife were saying exactly the same thing. Can this family handle bad stuff?" because we've not really experienced a lot of it. Life's mostly been good. And huh. so what happens? So so what we need to know as followers of Jesus today is, is Jesus enough when life gets to, to the point that they're in now, the king of Babylon's outside the city? Like so, so it's easy for me to say yes to Jesus and that Jesus is enough when I'm predicting another 50 years of life with my kids that I love and potentially grandkids and all those different things. Yeah. But what if the story doesn't look like that? Um, what it, what, what it, if tomorrow there's a stage four cancer diagnosis? Is it gospel if it can't sustain the cancer diagnosis? Yeah. And uh, gospel, what by the reason I use that word is it literally means good news. Yeah. Is it good news if it isn't big enough to handle the struggle yes. as well as big so enough I used to, to, I used to have a framework around messages where I'd say, does it work for a single mother in Haiti trying to survive with her kids post the earthquake? Yeah. Um, and, and that's a challenge uh, for sure. So, so I think there, there is something to this element of storytelling that says, no, God is still God when, when the story's awful. Now, now, here's where I think it's fascinating based on your point. And this gets us into loads of like questions. This gets very wonderful and weird.
Paul suggests at least that faith, hope, and love have some permanence. Yeah. And then he also says in another place that who hopes for what they don't have? So what happens to the story when there's no inciting incidents? Does, does eternity paint Man. a picture of the inciting incidents are done? Or by nature, does, does God always create new stories? So your that question it represents one of the greatest crises of faith I've ever had. Interesting, that's so fascinating. So I was literally um I don't know how long ago, maybe 5 or 6 years ago, I was uh studying narrative arcs and story and I you know, I had this sort of aha moment just about story in isolation that every single story that's worth telling has to have some sort of crisis, some sort of thing to be overcome mm -hmm. or whatever. And that popped in my head. And then seconds later, I said, well, what about eternity? Is there no inciting incident? Because, oh, oh, there's this book by um, Donald Miller called A Million Miles in a Thousand uh -huh. Years. And in, his, in the book, he has this thesis that the same things that make a great story make a great life. Mm. That's his thesis that mm -hmm. he's exploring. He says, but he's and initially he's asking the question, is that true? Yeah. Is is the same thing that makes a great story make a great life? And then he tries to apply it in that. Mm -hmm. The book is about that. I highly recommend the book. Um, yeah. Anyway, so if that's true, there has to be an inciting incident to make a beautiful life. And then I was like, well, in eternity, if there's no sin, evil, death, destruction, brokenness. Is that even a good story? Is mm. eternity a good story? And I had a massive crisis of faith. Yeah. And initially, it wasn't a very long one because I had a conclusion um, that I came to. Well, which... and, and sometimes the the get out with those conversations around eternity, eternity is simply we don't know very much about it. Um, yeah. And we and what we started with in our conversation was we were talking quantum physics, and there's this experiment from however many years ago, maybe a hundred years ago ish. Uh, where, where they started trying to fire light particles through two slits. Um, and, and when people were watching right, it went through one slit versus the other. And when they weren't watching through a detector, it went like a wave. It went everywhere. So bullet when it's watched and wave when it's not. And there's no logical reason why it behaves differently when it's watched. It's like the big version of the whole like, uh, when a tree falls over in a woods, does it make a sound? And the question, yeah, like like there's no answer to it because no one's been there when no one's there. Um, yeah, you can't do that. You can't do that. So so it's well, like, this experiment is basically an attempt to to be there to, when it falls in the woods. Yeah, no but then right. if they're there, it does one thing. If they are, and you're like, oh my gosh, and they can measure the outcome. Yeah, and it was as simple as yeah. like if you turn the detector off. It, it, it can be mounted and everything, yeah, but if the yeah, detector's off, yeah. so it's not like the detector, yeah. So, so the truth is, we don't know anything about this world, really, let alone an eternal world. And, and the way that particles work, like the, 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 the knowledge that we have of how particles works and how physics works, quantum physics, all these different things, like make the idea of a... a an eternity in a different universe more logical than ever. 
um, even though we don't know anything about it. But like the 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 sense of like modernism of like, oh no, we've started to re get beyond all that. Yeah. All of this reopens like, no, 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 we're not beyond that at all. We have no idea. Yeah, this, yeah, this it, test opened up an avenue of scientific research that had to, was forced to acknowledge how little we know. Yeah. Because even the best quantum physicists in the world now have absolutely no explanation. They only have theories. They have yeah. no scientific explanation for the observable universe at the yeah. quantum level. Yeah, it's, I mean- They, it, so, they have no clue. Yeah, it's just, yeah, so, so it's just like, <laughs> so if you're someone that like, for whatever reason has ended up listening to this podcast, that's like, yeah, I'm like, kind of like, the religious stuff, it's a bit naive. No, 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 the premise of like, no, we know what happens when you die on a like, on a evidential level outside of faith, that's naive. Like we, we just, like there's so much out there that's just mysterious to us. So so there's, I always feel like w when you talk about eternity, there's the, the small picture we get in scripture. Yeah. But there's a lot of like, a lot of like faith elements. And my theory around it has always been like, if you watch those moments where an animal is born on land that really spends most of its time in the water, uh, like uh, you watch these incredible sea turtles, they come up on land to lay their eggs and these little things scamper down to the water, but they're kind of cumbersome. And then they slip into the water. Penguins, same deal. They they kind of waddle around and you see them in water and they're sleek and gliding. And I'm like, that's what eternity is. Like it's something that's made for eternity that suddenly ends up in, an, in exactly the sort of environment that it's yeah. supposed to be. But how can you ever really feel that this side of it? Somewhere there's a... A delightful. Well, movie. I think that there's some scriptural hints mm. at what the narrative yeah. arc of eternity is. Okay. Um, and this gets into a little bit of hypothetical theology, is what I what I like to call it. But I've got some theories about it, and I won't get into all of them now. But uh, in Genesis, there's a there's some several commissionings that God mm. gives to humanity. Yeah. He says, "Be fruitful and multiply mm -hmm. and fill the earth." subdue the earth so take so care for it and mm -hmm. protect it um sort of hack its chaos back mm -hmm. um and and be an image of me for creation mm. those are sort of the three main mandates that humanity is given um and so even genesis this is pre-sin pre-fall mm -hmm. mm -hmm. what's the narrative arc mm -hmm. It's, yeah, it's not it, that the garden, the Garden of Eden and the Hebrew mindset around the Garden of Eden is not that it was a perfect place. Uh -huh. What it was was perfect potential. Yeah. It was an a garden with a bunch of chaos surrounding it that then God and humanity in mm -hmm. in community would then create, beautify, mm -hmm. and and cultivate the entire earth mm -hmm. or cosmos. And so I think that that's what we do yeah. in eternity is that we are fruitful and multiply. Mm -hmm. And there's a ton of challenge involved with that. Um, it Even in Genesis, pre-fall, no sin has entered the world, and yet there's still chaos. There's undiscovered things. Mm -hmm. So one of the narrative arcs that I didn't see when I had this crisis of faith initially was not every narrative arc is evil or sin. Mm -hmm. Some is challenge. Mm -hmm. So like the story of someone climbing Mount Everest, mm -hmm. Mount Everest isn't evil. Yeah. The character isn't necessarily evil, mm -hmm. but the elements are challenging, mm -hmm. and 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 the 
the challenge of overcoming the yes. odds is yeah. the narrative arc of a yeah. story about and, that. And, and so all of creation and all of the cosmos that God has created can be this place that we have to then find, discover, cultivate, and and beautify all of creation mm. and all of the earth. Yeah. Or all of the cosmos, maybe. So maybe there's like some multi-planetary discovery. There's some discovery of God's creation. That's tons of challenge. The challenge of creating technology that will allow that possible the, and technology that also doesn't da damage the cosmos. Uh -huh. That's a deeply yeah. challenging technological. Yeah, totally. So there's a ton of narrative so there's, arcs. There's a fascinating illustration of this. If you feel like this is getting like beyond you a little bit and you can go check this out. So the TV show Family Guy does this storyline where they they look at Wile E. Coyote and Roadrunner. Okay. So what's Wiley Coyote's big, like, what's his big inciting incident to try and catch Roadrunner? Um, like, he wants to catch Roadrunner because he wants to eat it. Yeah. Um, so so what, are the, what are the possibilities with that story? Well, the one is that he doesn't catch Roadrunner or stops. Like, he just gives up. Yeah. And he's like, yeah. And, and then the question is, like, what, what does he do then? Like, he can't stop. He's got to keep going. This is his life mission. But then there's another possibility, which is he does catch Roadrunner. And so in, in all of the cartoons, this never happens. But, but Family Guy create a moment where he does. Um, and, and so he catches Roadrunner. Like finally the rock falls at the right time. And instead of falling on him, it falls on Roadrunner and, and squashes him. And Wile E. Coyote eats him. You see him there eating Roadrunner. He's so happy. Like he's, you know, he's doing all these things. And then it's the day afterwards. And he's kind of like, so you see him like watching daytime TV, drinking a beer. And then someone says to him, well, what, what are you going to do now? And he's like, I don't know. I'm not really trained for anything else other than catching Roadrunner. So he goes and gets a job in a fast food restaurant and he's like flipping burgers and he's, and he's just <laughs> miserable. Like he's so unhappy. Um, so, so the theory is, why does he never catch Roadrunner in the cartoons? Well, the theory behind it is Wile E. Coyote is actually sabotaging his own mission. So he still has a mission to fulfill. <laughs> um, like you just like, because yeah, when you get to the end of the story and it's over, w w what happens then? Like the, the Lord of the Rings, same deal. There's this imaginary scenario where what happens with Aragorn, this great king that comes and brings peace and suddenly everyone to conquer is conquered. Uh, and so he sits, um, he sits down and he just gets fat and old and nothing happens. And, 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 and this is written into history as well. There's this, this moment I'm trying to remember at the, the text it's in now, but but there's the language of and Caesar wept because there were no more kingdoms to conquer. Like the mission is over. Like now there's just the maintenance of it. Uh, and so by nature, you look at all of these examples of, of what happens when there's nothing to do. And so it seems like whatever eternity looks like, however it's pictured, God creates something for people to do. We don't know what that looks yeah, like. Yeah, I mean, that work existed pre-fall, yes. pre-sin, so work you, existed. Yeah. If your picture of, of heaven is, that sounds kind of boring. Um, we're just going to sit around singing Thanks a lot, Hollywood. You totally screwed up heaven. Totally. Um, actually, no, no, no. The the only picture we're given really is one that like is continually God redeveloping, God living with people, God restoring the mission of Genesis, bringing about new work that's good and fruitful and multiply. So, so totally. that just gets fascinating then. Yeah. Um, and I think that there's enough, um, again, 
the scriptures does, don't talk about multi-planetary discovery or anything like that, the new heavens and new earth. But if you think, if you look at the the scope of what we've discovered in the universe so far, and it's like we we have hardly any clue. Mm-hmm. Like the first ever photograph of a black hole, we've had mathematical evidence of black holes but the first ever photograph of a black hole was like 2018 or something crazy like that. Um, And we were like, oh, great. We actually can see it. We've been mathematically being able to see this Mm -hmm. because of gravitational objects and stuff. But now we have visual evidence Mm -hmm. that he says, like, seriously, we know almost nothing. Yeah, totally. (laughs) And and like um, our youth pastor showed us this like, Cosmic pillars the pillars of creation, which we some scientists think that the light from that might like this could be completely gone because the light has taken so many years to get to totally. us. Okay, if that's the scope, I think we've got plenty of things to discover and explore with with the goodness of God for all of eternity. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it. I think that's a very compelling narrative arc for humanity. Yeah. to participate and just discover his goodness here and there and there and then discover something new here and celebrate and rejoice and then figure out the challenge of trying to discover a new way of approaching this or how do we cultivate the earth mm. without damaging it how do we feed the population like these are all beautiful challenges that don't require evil or sin yeah. to to do to be and so to bring this back to Jeremiah, in this moment of tension and this moment of inciting incident, Jeremiah starts to paint a picture of all will be well. And yet there's still other stories beyond that that continue to develop. Yeah, Jeremiah's not in the last book. Yeah. Uh, and so, so it seems like God knows what stories we need to know about and what other stories might unfold are completely in his hands. Uh, and that's part of this delight faith. But one of this one of the things that I love about this quantum physics stuff we've been talking about and just, just the, the largeness of it as a, as a, uh, as a field of study is that if you're someone who's like, no, 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 really intelligent scientific types don't have any sense that there might be a God actually amongst physicists that see the largeness of the universe. There's plenty of examples uh, of people of faith because they're like, yeah, we just, I mean, (laughs) We just can't figure this stuff out. Like it's it's beyond us. Yeah, which is interesting. Um, totally. Yeah. Some sort of uh, deity being an explanation for the unexplainable inside of quantum physics is totally a viable, mm-hmm. scientifically viable uh, theory. Yeah. Um. So super fascinating. I think so. For back to tying this back to our our lives. Some of the things that this teaches us about story arc and stuff is that you were designed to carry some load. Mm -hmm. Every human being was not designed to sit on the couch and veg. Like that isn't the pinnacle of human existence. The pinnacle of human existence actually involves solving problems Mm -hmm. and 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 facing some sort of challenges. So, if you're in a season with young kids, sometimes it's the pinnacle of a night. It's like, this is like as good as it gets right now. (laughs) And so like, yeah, I mean, that's actually, but it's kind of encouraging to say, okay, uh, I used to think that when I run into challenges, it was actually some sort of punishment for sin. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. And now I can say not all challenges are like some sort of 
punishment for sin. Mm. Some challenges are actually me yeah. fulfilling my purpose as a human being. And and that like that element of like story and challenge goes into everything. Like the when we've talked about um church teams in church all those different things like the the doing hard things together the sense of liminality is crucial to like teams thriving together if everything's just easy if there's more stuff than you could ever need if there's more dollars than you could ever need well actually it just gets a little bit like okay what do what's the point like you know why do you why do you get up in the morning totally. um, like there's all these different elements to this that like that come into play that's just fascinating uh, the challenges that you experience in life, they're actually good on some level, even when they're hard. Um, and God's commitment to making all things well is constant. So you see that in the cyclicalness of, of, of life, like there's the harvest and, and things are well. And then there's time to plant new seeds for the new story. And then there's the tension of waiting for water and waiting for sunshine and waiting for growth. And then there's like, the harvest and all things are well. And then there's the new season and there's new planting and new stories to emerge from that season. And, and that constant change uh, seems like something that is part of God's nature, which is exciting. Yeah. And wired into how we were made to exist mm -hmm. as human beings. I, yeah. So I, I don't know what season you guys are out there and we're probably all in different seasons, but um, some of the pressure that you may be feeling right now might be actually a gift to transform you into something, to help mm -hmm. you solve a problem that God wants you to solve in the world. Uh, yeah. I don't know what it is, but the pressure doesn't necessarily, it's part of the goodness of mm. life. Yeah. And, and, Which and is even like painful even to say sometimes, totally. oh, because terrifying. sometimes you're like, the pressure I'm facing is I lost a loved one by a terrible means. <sighs> okay, but... God is immediately, as soon as that evil happens, and it might have been someone evil who took your loved one, or it might have been terribly evil, but God's agenda right off the bat is to how do I craft this into something beautiful with the person that I love? Yeah. And how do how do I listen to God's voice in that? And, and I'm sure I've used this example on the podcast mm. before, but it's so pertinent that I'll share it again in, in Alexander Dumas' Count of Monte Cristo. There's this priest fatherly figure character that... that is like, yeah, he's the mentor figure. Uh, and he in prison, he's, he's been imprisoned wrongly, he's written this incredible piece of literature. Um, like, and, and the young character, Edmond Dantes, reads it and he's like, oh my goodness, this is incredible. How have you achieved all this in prison? What would you have achieved if you'd not been in prison? And the priest is smart enough to, to say, maybe nothing. Maybe, maybe just with all that freedom, all that space, I'd have just wasted my life on frivolities. But something about the concentration by, uh, you know, that was brought about by this crisis, that was a game changer. Um, so it, it seems like life can be, oh, absurdly painful. And, and this doesn't mean wishing for, for super terrible things to happen. Um, but it does mean that somehow God creates goodness or even wellness out of them. Yeah. Um, so maybe the prayer in those moments of tension should just be like, all right, God, whatever you want to create out of this. Yeah. I think this is insanely difficult, but I want you to create something beautiful. Mm -hmm. And there's been times, I can tell you, there's been times in my life that that's the only thing I had to cling to. The only hope I had was not, I didn't see a way out. I didn't see it. Mm -hmm. The only hope I had was I've seen you produce 
insane beauty out of this kind of pain, and I want that. Yeah. So do it again. So I've got a suggestion. What we could do is uh, we we do this at church all the time at South. I'm just going to say a moment of prayer. Uh, yeah, I love that. Because, yeah. God, for anyone listening that's going through one of those moments where the story isn't good and doesn't feel like it will ever be good again, mm. uh, God, I pray you would awaken them to possibilities. Um, that doesn't mean that the thing isn't as bad as it gets or as bad mm. as it seems, but it does mean that you constantly create out of those moments. Um, and we're just left in awe of the mystery. So God, I pray that you'd uh, be close in this season and surprise them with that. Mm. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks for turning into the podcast. Spiritual at the end of the podcast. We're praying on theology podcast. (laughs) I love it. That's so good. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in. We hope you'll tune in next week as we probably talk a little bit about resurrection. Yeah. Yeah, Since we're going to talk about Easter. And if we see you on Friday, see you on Sunday, we're excited to see you. Yeah. Love y'all. See you guys. Bye. Bye. Well, thanks again for listening, and we hope that that was a helpful conversation for you. We'd love to interact with you about this, so feel free to leave comments, questions, all that sort of thing, and we'll try our best to get back to you when we can. Have a great day.